Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I read a story this week about a young man who returned to the United States uh, following his involvement in the Vietnam War. Now, he needed a, a fresh start in life, so he enrolled in Judson College in Chicago, Illinois. Now, there was a river that ran around and through that campus, and this young man was often seen down by that river taking care of the ducks. He'd be there and he'd be feeding them. During the winter months, he'd break up the ice so the ducks would have a, a small area to swim in. He was always down by the river taking care of the ducks. And someone asked a professor, why does this young man care so much about these ducks. The professor replied and said, the story goes that, the, that ducks saved his life. His unit had been ambushed in Vietnam, many of his friends had been killed, and while he hadn't been shot, he laid down to look like he had. He hoped they would go away, but they didn't. The enemy kept coming. Through the fields they came. They would put one more shot in every fallen man to ensure that he was dead. But suddenly, a group of ducks flew overhead, and the attention of the soldiers was diverted. In their excitement, they began running after the ducks to shoot at them instead. In the end, they stopped checking the field for men and left. That's how the man down by the river escaped. And now he has a special love for ducks. He loves because he lives. He loves because he lives. Now that is a wonderful summary of the passage that we're looking at tonight. Through Jesus, we have been forgiven of our sin. We have been made alive to God. We are loved by God. And we are called to respond to that love by loving others. We are to love because we live. In fact, Peter said in this passage, we are to love one another deeply from the heart. Now, there's lots of things that we do in life from the heart. It might be following our sports team. It might be choosing our clothes. It might be raising our children, decorating our home. Now, these are all good things. But the question God is asking each of us tonight 
is do we love others with the same energy and the same commitment and the same passion? We're in a sermon series at the moment. We're actually in week three tonight on a journey through the book of First Peter. And we've called this series Against the Tide because Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, a leader in the early church, he's writing this letter to Christians like you and I in modern-day Turkey. Back then it was called Asia Minor. And these Christians were under pressure for their faith in Jesus. They were swimming against the cultural tide. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them in the faith and to instruct them in the faith. And what we've seen so far is that in week one, Peter unpacked for them the really, really good news of the gospel, the good news of Christianity, that we belong to God, that we have a glorious future. Last week, we saw that this good news changes our lives totally. It leads us to a life of hope and humility and holiness. And what we're going to see tonight is that this new life is a life of love. It's a life of love for others. In fact, the title for tonight's sermon is Love Jesus? Question mark. Love others? Exclamation mark. Because that is about as simplified version of the teaching of the Bible that you can get. If you love Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are loved by Jesus, then you are called and compelled to love others. In fact, the Bible says that if you claim to, to love Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, but you do not love other people, then it reveals that you do not really know or love God. This is uh, the way we read it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's fair to say that this is a pretty big deal. It's pretty important for us to ask ourselves, am I loving others? And what does that actually look like? Well, thankfully, in this passage that we're looking at tonight, Peter unpacks for us what it means to love others. In fact, he answers three key questions for us about how we are to love. The first question, if you're taking notes, is this. Who should we love? Who should we love? Now, maybe this question strikes you as a little bit odd because you're thinking, well, we're Christians. We are to love everybody. I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies. And that's absolutely true. The Bible teaches us that every person is created in the image of God. They have inherent worth, dignity, and they deserve our respect and our love. But there is also a sense in the Bible where as Christians, we are called to love one another, especially. For example, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all people. But what does he then go on to say? Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Or Romans 12, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. 
Now, why would the Bible say this? Why would the Bible call us to, to love and do good, especially to other believers? Well, think about it this way. Imagine you're walking down the road one day and there is someone getting mugged on the other side of the road. What is the loving thing to do? It's to get involved, even if it puts you in harm's way. It's to chase the thug away, it's to call an ambulance, it's to talk to the police to try and identify the assailant. You might even, a couple of days later, visit that person in hospital just to check that they're recovering okay. That is love for a stranger. Now, imagine that you're walking down the street and the person getting mugged on the other side of the road is your mum. That changes things, doesn't it? You'll still do a lot of the same things. You'll, you'll chase the thug away and, and you know, he better hopes that you don't catch him. You, you'll call an ambulance, you'll talk to the police, but you're not just going to check on mom a couple of days later. Well, if you do, you really should. You're going to be far more involved in her recovery. You're going to be at the hospital for as long as it takes. You're going to help her with you know, every need that she has because that's love for a family member. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a child of God. We are adopted into the family of God, which means we have a, a bunch of new brothers and sisters. And we're called to love one another. And this is what Peter says to us in verse 22. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the gospel, in other words, by obeying the truth, now that you have believed the gospel, now that you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been purified, you have been cleansed of your sin, you are loved by God, you are a child of God. Now what is the result of that? You have a sincere love for one another. In other words, faith in Jesus will produce the fruit of love for other people. If you plant a lemon tree, and it's genuine and it's healthy, it will produce lemons. If you plant a life in the love of Jesus, if it's genuine and healthy, it will produce love for God and love for others. And this is why the Christian community, the community that is followers of Jesus, should be a community marked by love. I mean, when you walk into Apple... The Apple store, you know, not the, the fruit store, but the tech company store. You expect to find lots of blue shirts. I think it's still blue shirts. Uh, and, and lots of devices. When you walk into McDonald's, you expect to find bad food and fast service. When you walk into the church, you should expect to find lots of loving relationships. Lots of gentleness and kindness. Lots of humility and forgiveness. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said. He said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If the world looks at our life together and they see a lack of love and they see the presence of division and unforgiveness, they have every right to wonder if we're really Christians. They have every right to wonder if we really love God, because how can we love God, our Heavenly Father, and then turn around and hate our brother or sister? Think about it this way. Imagine there are two boys and they go on a fishing trip with their dad. It's just the three of them out on the boat all day. 
And imagine that these two boys are not getting along at all. Maybe you don't have to imagine too hard. Maybe you've been there. They're arguing all day. They're fighting with one another. Now, what is their relationship with their dad that day going to be like? It's going to be strained. It's not going to be harmonious or healthy or satisfying. Now, imagine the boys are on the boat and they're getting along with one another. They're being kind to one another. They're even offering to put the worm on the hook for one another and help one another out. Their relationship with their dad is going to be healthy and satisfying and fulfilling. And you see, the truth is, the quality of your relationships with other people, it will have a bearing and it will determine the quality of your relationship with God. And if you are treating a brother or a sister in Christ in an unloving or an insincere or a petty or an angry way, then your spiritual growth is being stunted. Your intimacy with God is being impacted. Because God cares deeply, deeply about his chi- how his children treat one another. This is the way Jesus put it. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you are going to worship God, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now maybe some of us need to make a phone call tomorrow. Maybe some of us need to set up a a coffee this week. And listen to me, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to say those words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But it's so important. And notice that we have not been called to love one another moderately. We've not been called to a kind of an aloof, distant love. We have been called to love one another deeply. From the heart. This is a committed love. This is a constant love, a love that never gives up. This is love that, that, like I said last week, it puts on active wear, but it also puts on hiking boots. Because it's in it for the long haul and it expects some difficult terrain. See, this is love that gets us beyond just kind of smiling friendliness. This is love that we give to people who are different to us. This is love that will inconvenience us, that will cost us. This is love that moves us to action. This is love that shows up at church consistently because we are more concerned about others. And so we don't just kind of come late and leave early. We come early and leave late because we want to get to know other people. We want to help other people. We want to pray for other people. We want to meet the needs of other people. This is the type of love that we've been called to. And when we all come with this kind of attitude, we create a community that looks like and feels like Jesus. We create a community of deep love. And so let me just ask you, what is your next step? What's your next step? Now, some of us are deeply invested in the community. We pray, we serve, we give, we show up, we love. And I want to say thank you and do not give up. God sees what you're doing and what you're doing matters. Others of us, if we're honest, we could invest ourselves a little bit further. We could give of ourselves a little bit more fully. 
I mean, whatever it is, we all have a next step that we can take tonight. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Adam, that, that sounds nice, that sounds lovely, but if I'm honest, it also sounds like a lot of hard work. It sounds like it's going to be a little bit costly, a little bit inconvenient, and I'm just not sure that I want to do that. Well, this is why Peter reminds us of why we love one another in verses 23 to 25. The first question he asks is, who should we love one another? The second question he asks and answers is, why should we love? Now, let me kind of give you the the slightly crass, simplified Adam version of what Peter says. We are called to love one another because we are stuck with one another. And we are going to be stuck with one another for a long time. So we better start to learn to get along with one another. That's kind of essentially what Peter says in verses 23 to 25. He talks about physical life and spiritual life, and he says that physical life is fleeting. We're all born of kind of perishable seed. We're all like the the grass and like flowers. We all wither and fade eventually. All earthly life and all earthly relationships end eventually. But when we come to faith in Jesus, when we believe the enduring, eternal word of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus, we are born again of imperishable seed. We are made alive to God forever. We are born into God's family that will go on forever. And so we are to love one another. Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, Adam, I'm still not so sure about this. I mean, have you met some of our brothers and sisters? I'm not sure I want to spend Sunday with some of them, let alone eternity. I mean, that's a long time. And it's, it's totally true that if you invest yourself in Christian community, it is not going to be all skittles and lollipops. Everyone walking around with a glow and a smile you know, attached to their face all the time. Humanly speaking, we are a group of very flawed people. The Bible tells us this about ourselves. I mean, we are people who don't change very quickly. We're, we're proud, we're selfish, we can be difficult and we can even be prickly. And so we are going to bump up against one another. We are going to, at times, hurt one another. We are going to, at times, need to forgive one another. We are a group of deeply flawed people. But we are also a group of deeply loved people. We have been brought together by God himself. And so what right do we have to hold back or to walk away from the family of God? I mean, let me just ask you, what is your attitude towards the family of God, the people of God? Are you holding back? Are you walking away? Do you know someone that has walked away? Maybe tonight we need to, to stop holding back and to start moving closer. To stop guarding ourselves and to start giving of ourselves. Maybe we need to reach out to someone who we know and love who has walked away. We've been brought together by God. We'll be together forever, and so we have been called to love one another. The first question is, who should we love? Second question is, why should we love? And the third and final question that Peter asks is, how should we love? I mean, it's all good and well to say this, but what does this actually look like 
in practice. Well, when we talk about love today, what do we often think about you know, it being? What, what do we refer to it as? A feeling or a force. You know, I fell in love or I fell out of love or I don't feel love anymore. But when Peter turns to talk about love, he doesn't refer to our feelings. He calls us to action. He calls us to cut off some attitudes and actions in our lives. Look at what he says, verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Peter is calling on us to throw out the trash, to get rid of certain attitudes, because these things destroy community and they kill relationships and they are the opposite of love. Now, what exactly are these things? It's easy to list them, but what do they actually look like in our relationships with one another? Well, malice is very simply the desire to hurt someone. It's a hateful feeling and a hostile attitude. Deceit is simply the desire to fool someone. It's being vague, dishonest, and manipulative to get your own way. Hypocrisy is the desire to look better than you really are. It's putting on a mask, it's pretending, it's posturing, it's playing the part. Envy is the desire to see someone fail and fall so you feel better about yourself. It's not wanting the best for other people, but it's actually hoping for the worst. Slander is the desire to make someone else look bad. It's cutting away at their name and their reputation. Now, we all need to admit to ourselves that we are all capable of all of these things. This is why they're in the Bible and this is why Peter is calling on us to get rid of them, to cut them out of our lives, to cut them out of our church. In fact, they're kind of like old pieces of clothing that just don't fit us anymore and that aren't appropriate anymore, that we should probably just throw out. You know, maybe it's a dress with shoulder pads in it. Or maybe it's your school uniform. Or, or maybe if you're getting a little bit on in age, it's skinny jeans. I mean, these are things that, that we just shouldn't wear anymore. They don't fit us anymore. They're not appropriate for us anymore. They belong to our past life, and we need to get rid of them. And this is what Peter is saying with these attitudes and actions. We need to put them off. But loving others is not just about not doing them any harm. It's actually about doing them good. It's about something positive. It's about putting on new clothes, or as the imagery that Peter goes on to use, it's about changing our diet. Look at what he says, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now when you are a newborn baby, if you are going to grow physically, if you're going to become healthy, you need one thing and one thing only. Milk. Now, of course, you need love and safety and security, but, but if you don't get milk, then none of those other things matter. Peter is saying, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in your love for God, if you want to grow in your love for other people, then you need what he calls spiritual milk. And he's referring to the truth of the gospel. He's referring to the truth of God's word. 
We are to take in, to eat in, to drink the truth of the Bible. And actually, we're not just to kind of have a casual attitude towards it. We are to crave it, Peter says. Have you ever seen a newborn baby when they're hungry? My four-month-old daughter, Eden, is hilarious. When she gets hungry, she gets like her mother. She gets hangry. Now, if you don't know what hangry is, it's when you get so hungry that you get angry. And I've got two women in my house that get that way. I mean, Eden, she, she doesn't cry when she gets hungry. It's like she's yelling at you. Give me what I need. And she will yell at you until she gets it. Now, what's your spiritual hunger like for the Word of God? You know, spiritual hunger is different to physical hunger. With physical hunger, the more we eat, the less hungry we are. We feel satisfied. But with spiritual hunger, the more that we eat, the more hungrier or the hungrier we get. Our appetite increases. We long for more of God, for more of God's word. And what this means, if you're not spiritually hungry, if maybe there's no appetite for the word of God, then it could be that you've been starving yourself and shrinking your appetite. It could be that you've been gorging yourself on other things that do not satisfy. And you need to start to, to read, to listen, to learn, to sit under, to discuss, to apply, to soak in the truth of God's word. To let that milk strengthen you and grow you in your love for God and in your love for others. Now maybe you'd say to me, Adam, I'm too busy to read the Bible. I get it, but let me just ask you this. Do you make time to eat? I think we would all say yes, because we want to live physically. And if we make time to eat so that we can live physically, how much more should we make time so that we can live spiritually? Maybe you'd say to me, yeah, but Adam, when I eat physically, I feel the effects. I mean, I feel satisfied. I feel full. When I read the Bible, if I'm honest, I walk away feeling sometimes confused, bored, uninspired, even dissatisfied. And I think this largely happens because we misunderstand what the Bible is and what it's supposed to do. See, the Bible is not kind of a storehouse of inspirational sayings. It's not kind of like a fortune cookie that you crack open. The Bible is the story of who God is and what God has done for us in history. And as we soak ourselves in this story, as we get to know this story and who our God is, we are gradually but unmistakably changed and shaped and defined. In fact, Bible reading is kind of like the waves at the beach that wash over the rocks. Those waves gradually but unmistakably shape those rocks. And as we read the Bible, sometimes the truth of God will crack us open and it will change us profoundly. But more often than not, we will be gradually shaped as the truth washes over us. And what this means is that when you sit down to read the Bible, it is not necessarily going to be some amazing moment of profound insight and incredible experience. I mean, you don't expect every meal to be amazing, do you? And yet you still eat because you want to live 
In the same way, if we want to live spiritually, we need to learn to eat and to drink in the truth of God's word so that we can grow in our love for him and in our love for others. And as we drink in the word of God, we discover something to be undeniably true. We discover, we taste and we discover that the Lord is good. We discover the goodness of God. And this is what we need most if we are going to become people who love God and love others. We need to know and experience the goodness of God. We need to see that the God of the Bible is a God of deep love. That the story of the Bible is the story of God's great love for undeserving sinners. That though we are flawed and sinful, God comes near near to us in Jesus Christ and he does not come in a rage. He does not come to condemn, he comes to save. And Jesus lives the life that you and I have failed to live. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies the death that you and I deserved to die. And he rises from the tomb, defeating sin and death, and he offers us the gift of life that we have not earned. He makes us family. He brings us into the family of God. And so some of us tonight, we need to respond by entering into a restored, reconciled relationship with God. I mean, some of us are not in a right relationship with God. And we need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. He came, the Bible says, so that we might know God. And I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and I'm going to leave some space for you to be honest with God and to say to him, God, I I turn from my self-ruled life, from doing things my way, and I submit to you. And I know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and you will lead me into life. Others of us, we're not in a right relationship with a brother or sister. There is a grudge. There is division. There is envy. There is deceit. There is unforgiveness. And if we don't deal with it, we can't move forward. And in a moment, I'm going to, again, leave some space for you to pray. And listen, it might be that you were the victim in that situation. I'm just going to invite you to forgive that person. It might be, more often than not, this is the case, that there is fault on both sides. And we need to release our right to get even. And we need to go to this person and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? For some of us, it might have happened a long time ago. For others, it it might be more recent, but it's just as important. Love one another deeply from the heart. Let's pray. Lord, there are some of us here tonight who need to obey Jesus. And we need to leave our gift at the altar. And before anything else takes place, we need to go to someone else and be reconciled to them. Lord, I really do believe that your spirit has convicted some of us tonight that we've been called to get our relationships right. 
that we've been called to cut off hateful attitudes, deceptive words, hypocritical actions, envious thoughts and slanderous speaking. I believe that that we have been convicted to act tonight because until we do, we'll be stuck. Lord, it might simply be that we need to offer an apology and we need to change our attitude. Maybe it's just that we need to attempt to do whatever we can to fix a broken relationship because if it is possible, as far as it depends on us, we want to live at peace with everyone. Help us to do that. Lord, there are others of us here tonight who need to be reconciled to you. We need to receive the love and the life that you freely give to us in Jesus. And we want to turn from our sin and our self-ruled lives and we want to submit to you and receive all that you freely give to us. Forgiveness of sin, new life in your spirit, adoption into your family and life with you forevermore. And so wherever we are at, Lord, we come before you now and we lay these things at your feet. Speak to us, Lord. Heavenly Father, this really matters. We are loved by you, amazingly. And we're called to a life of love. Help us to be the people that you created us to be. Help us to be the church that you're calling us to be. For the good of our local community and for the glory of of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand? We're going to sing to conclude our time together, but I want you to hear these words. May the goodness and the generosity of God our Saviour the renewing power of the Holy Spirit and the certain hope purchased by Jesus Christ for you settle over your living, your thinking, your worship and your dying. Amen.